Well, it is a delight to be together in God's house once again, to be together with God's people, and it is our distinct privilege to sit under God's word as we come together um, week by week and Lord's Day by Lord's Day, morning and evening, to hear the preaching of the word. We again look at the book of Mark. Please turn to Mark chapter 11. Some of you I know have not been with us all along on this journey as we've gone through this book of Mark. This is a, um, I, I think I've said this a number of times, a pivotal text, but it is in that it Christ is being um, heralded as he enters Jerusalem. And while other gospel accounts um, tell us more about Jesus' ministry, um, as we said very early in this series on the, the uh, Gospel of Mark, Mark's account is pretty fast-paced, and, and it just keeps moving rather at a, at a fast clip as it goes through and tells us those three questions that I keep repeating. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does it mean to follow him? And so here we see, last week we, we said the, the passage that we looked at last time, not last week, but the last time we looked at Mark, um, was on the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And that was, we said, that was the end of Act 2. If we could, if we could look at the whole of the gospel and, and divide it up into three acts or three movements or three distinct sections, um, what we saw last time was the end of that middle section. Here with chapter 11, with the triumphal entry, we of course see the beginning of Act 3. Um, and really the, the, the events leading up to Christ's death, where we really see what Christ came to do, that he came to die for our sins, that he came to be the sacrifice, that he is God's chosen king. And really, in this passage here this evening, more than, more than anything we've seen so far, Christ is revealed as Messiah, as king, as God's anointed one, even though many who even said those words, Hosanna, and, and, and what we're going to look at this evening, even though many of them didn't really realize what they were saying, they were heralding Christ as the Messiah. So let us pray as we approach God's word and let us read this text. Please bow with me. Gracious God, we need you. We are, we are broken, we are sinful, we are needy people. And yet, Lord, we, we look to you as our King, as our Savior, as our Lord. And Lord, we look to your word because in it we see that, that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, it's, it's living, it's active, it's quick, it's powerful. Lord, and we need it. We need it to, to look into our hearts and divide the good from the bad. Lord, and to, to cut out what is, what is sinful yet remaining in our hearts. Holy Spirit, do your work among us, we pray. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Hear now God's word from Mark 11, beginning with verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. 
And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, Why are you, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. Now, if you'll remember from last time... um, the, the healing of blind Bartimaeus took place in Jericho. And Jesus was, at the time he encountered Bartimaeus, traveling with the crowd that was going up to Jerusalem. They were going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. So it was not just Christ followers. And, and this idea of the crowds is, is really throughout the whole book of Mark. But here, the, we, we, I think we need to have the picture of, of an even greater crowd. That it was not just followers of Christ, but it was all these, these Jewish people that were going up to Jerusalem to worship and for the Passover. And Jesus here sends his disciples with, on a very interesting mission. It, it always seemed a little odd to me that, that people would, would loan an animal to a complete stranger. But I think what Mark doesn't tell us and what is, is very likely possible that Jesus had prearranged this, like he prearranged the place that they could share the Passover. But Jesus was specific in his request, and it, it's clear why, because it was to fulfill prophecy. The disciples were obedient, they brought the animal, they put their cloaks on it, Jesus sat upon the cloaks. Um, He rode on this colt. It was maybe a a yearling. Luke tells us in the parallel passage that no one had ever sat on this animal. But here is Jesus riding this animal, this colt, um, the foal of a a beast of burden, it says, and, and coming into Jerusalem. The crowds make a carpet for him of their cloaks and branches of the tree. It was it was a royal procession, and it was like the procession of a conqueror. And they were shouting, Hosanna. And so as they came in, we we see this large crowd. We see Jesus riding on an animal amongst a bunch of other people who were walking. So he clearly stood out from them. But many questions might come to our mind as we think about this text. Why was Jesus so deliberate about entering Jerusalem in the way that he did? Especially in the light of his previous resistance to revealing his, who he, he was, his nature. Why did he choose to enter on the colt of a donkey? And why did the Romans not object to them, to, to the cries of the crowd? So in order to answer these questions, I think there's three things we need to see in this text. One is the king that Christ is. And, and as we look at the Old Testament allusions in here, and and the quotes, looking back at the Psalms, we see more of who Christ is, the king that Christ is. Secondly, we have to realize that there are things that that Christ is not. Some corrections we have to 
issue in regard to that. And then finally, we want to see the king that Christ will prove to be in the end. Now, there are several things as we think about the king that Christ is, and several things that Mark highlights here that helps us understand what that means and, and, and how that came about and, and significant things in this passage that, that help us see how he is pointing to that. The first is that it was a very public entrance. Mark has previously shown us how Christ, it, it seemed that Jesus was seeking to conceal his divine authority and his identity as the Messiah. And if you remember in these early chapters of Mark, we, we see how, how Mark revealed Christ a little at a time. We saw his authority in the, in the miracles and we see him then it kind of comes to fruition and to a head, if you will, in Peter's great confession where he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But often Jesus would caution those who were the recipients of his healing ministry not to tell others. He told the demoniac not to follow him. He told Jairus not to speak of the healing after Christ restored his daughter. It, this was such a theme in, such, in the early chapters of Mark that some call it the messianic secret, that Jesus was hiding the fact that he was the Messiah. And we see that, that he, it seemed that he was. But here, as he enters Jerusalem, there's nothing secretive about it. Jesus is riding in plain view. He is allowing the crowds to announce his coming. If you think about it, remember as we've been going along, we've seen the tension with the scribes and the Pharisees has been growing to a point that it seemed to be nearly boiling over. Their animosity against him was building. And at times it seemed inevitable that Jesus would be arrested. But scripture tells us it was not yet that time. But here it seems that Christ is recognizing it and Christ is very public in his entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus had told the disciples three times that he had come to die. All three of those times, they seemed to not understand it. And here he is revealing himself to the disciples and to the crowds. He has approached this city and he has begun this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem with resolve. And he has been marching steadily there. And here we see that he has entered. He has come to die and it was time for the world to see him. Secondly, we can see that, that we recognize a marker in this text, and that is how Christ arrived. Jesus came into Jerusalem riding a donkey. There was a practical sense in which he was, he was very public because he was seen. Like we said, he was riding an animal when, when everyone else was walking. But he told them to get the colt. Now, Mark doesn't really bear this out. If you look at parallel passages, especially in Matthew, it quotes from Zechariah. And it it says this was to fulfill prophecy. But Mark probably, for, for whatever reason, Mark doesn't highlight that. He highlights other things. Yet, in the instructions, we see a hearkening back to that prophecy in Zechariah. Jesus wanted to make a statement on how he arrived. It was to fulfill prophecy and show that he was God's promised king. 
This passage points to the fact that where it says, Zechariah spoke, Your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Here is Christ just days before he is crucified, before he was to give his life for his people, announcing to the world who he was. And from this prophecy, we see several things about Christ that that we as followers of Christ should know. One is that Christ is worthy of our praise. Zechariah tells Jerusalem to rejoice and shout aloud at the coming of the king, that he is worthy of all glory, laud, and honor, just as we sang this evening. We see that Christ is the king, is righteous, he is holy, he is sinless. We see that this king is bringing salvation, not salvation in, a, in an earthly, nationalistic sense, but in a spiritual sense. Christ is the author of salvation. And we see that he is humble. He is not coming with chariots or a war horse or with the bows of battle. He is coming humbly and speaking peace to the nations. And then we see what Mark especially highlights in here. And those were in the words of the people. It said the people going before him and following behind him. And they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna is a transliteration of the, of the Hebrew which means save now. And it harkens back to Psalm 118 and, and Psalm 113 to 118 were the Hallel Psalms. They were Psalms of praise. And if you remember, there's different sections of the Psalms that, that were used in the Old Testament worship. And there were songs of, Psalms of ascent as they were going up to Jerusalem. And these particular Psalms, these Psalms of praise were sung as they were entering and as they were in the city preparing their hearts for the time of Passover. And here they're, they're speaking in words that, that are rich with prophecy of the Davidic king. But they're also there to celebrate Passover, which is the, which is the quintessential um, thing that, that of, of God's deliverance. It is the, the theme that runs all through scripture, is of God's redemption and God's deliverance. And here they are in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, God's deliverance from Egyptian slavery. And here they are using words from Psalm 118, which speaks of a Davidic king coming in victory and rejoicing and praising God for the victory that that he has been given. And most of them, most of them don't realize that a greater than David is there among them, that Christ the Messiah is there. They were thinking of of an earthly deliverance. And yet... Um, There, humbly, riding on a donkey, was Christ the Messiah. God's anointed king was there. And as they sang these words that, that they were just used to singing every year as they came to Jerusalem for the Passover, they were announcing Christ as the Messiah. Hosanna, save now. All of those things point to Christ as God's chosen king. However, as we said, many saw him differently. Many saw him as a different kind of king. So we have to recognize the king that Christ is not. First of all, we know that he's not an earthly king. The the Jewish people were there. They were allowed to celebrate 
their Passover. They were allowed to celebrate their feast, but always under the watchful eye of the Romans. And they were always looking for someone to overthrow the Romans. But Christ's kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. Hosanna was a prayer, but it was also a nationalistic chant, as we said from Psalm 118. And many there were hoping for the restoration of an actual Davidic king, one who was of the line of David that would save them from the Roman oppression. Yet it was Christ from the line of David that was going to save them from their sins, was there to save us from our sins. Little did they know that one better than David was there among them. And I ask you tonight, where are you looking for salvation? Where are you looking for help? Are you looking to an earthly leader to save you? No person is, is that person. Trump can't save you. No one can save you. Only Christ. And Christ was not just a prophet. Remember Peter's great confession where he said in, in Mark 8, or some of the disciples said, some say you are one of the prophets. And the average person there that day probably thought Christ was a prophet. And he was. But he was so much more. He is Christ, God's anointed king. This text shows us in rich symbolism the king that Christ is. And we must be warned about the king that Christ is not. And even though Christ's kingdom has come to a degree, we still look for the fullness of that kingdom. And we heard about that in this morning's sermon, that the fulfillment of Christ's kingdom is yet to come. So we must also consider the final revelation of Christ as King of Kings. As we've said that when Christ entered Jerusalem on that day, on on what we call Palm Sunday, at the beginning of Holy Week, he entered humbly on the colt of a donkey. He did not have a procession, but among those who heralded his coming, many, probably most, misunderstood him. However, at the end of the age, when Christ returns, he will come in power with the holy angels with him. Revelation 19 says, And the army of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There in Revelation, Christ is not riding on a lowly donkey, but he is coming in triumph and power and judgment. He is the conqueror and the king. And on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And on that day, everyone will see him for who he is. And we can look forward to that as God's people. Christ revealed for all the world to see as King of kings and Lord of lords. I ask you this, morning, this evening, how do you see Christ? Do you see him as merely a good example? Simply as an earthly prophet, an earthly leader? Do you see him as a cosmic genie just to give you the things to make your life better? Or do you see him as God's anointed king, shown to fulfill all the Old Testament types and prophecies about him? Do you see him 
as the slain Savior for sinners crucified for you? Do you see him as the triumphant king upon whom God the Father bestows all honor and glory, as equal with himself and worthy of all your allegiance and praise? If Christ is not your Lord tonight, I invite you to seek him, to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That's the promise of Scripture for us. Yet, just as many in that crowd that day rejected him, many today reject him. So I implore you, don't be as the crowd, who many of whom probably just a few days later were among the crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. Don't be among them, but be those who accept Christ as king, who recognize him as king, who worship him as king, who recognize him as Lord and Savior. Amen. Let us pray.